maybe if we just had as a society a much more open view and discussion about death and dying it maybe it wouldn't be you know people would consider different ways earlier um i think we don't celebrate life living so much We're kind of just always in the grind of things we really don't give ourselves enough time to live so i think at the end of life too we're just also just like trying and trying and trying and working and working and working and cuz that just is what's normal you know you feel like you're you feel like you're giving up if you're just not doing anything but sometimes you just need to not do anything death is a vital part of life it initiates us into change. It is inevitable. We face our fears and enter our death portals, shedding old skins and ways of being, grieving our losses and re-emerging anew. I'm Ellen Wong. I'm a storyteller and entheogenic death companion. I invite you to enter this portal of discovery with me and together, Let's break our fearful silence and uplift our stories of death and grief so that we can all be inspired to live our lives loud. Welcome to Mom. Hey y'all, welcome back to Mom. I'm your host, Ellen Wong, and it is my extreme honor to welcome today's guest. Her name is Judy Dupko. She is a very dear friend of mine who I grew up with in Houston. And I've known Judy since we were in preschool. So we go way back. And she is part of my inner circle of um, my oldest and dearest friends. She is also a physician's assistant working in oncology. And I felt called to bring her in to mom to have this conversation because I think oftentimes when we hear perspectives from medical professionals, they are often from the expert lens. So they have their expert hat on and we look to them to learn new knowledge or information that can help us. Um, but today... I wanted to invite Judy in as a human, a human being with feelings that also doesn't have all the answers, you know, who is also learning on the job um, and learning about cancer, which is a very like constantly moving target where there's constantly new treatments, new studies, new information coming out. And so there's always something new to know. There's always something new to learn about it. So being a physician's assistant within this field has a lot of unknown factors. And she is having to navigate death on a weekly and, you know, I would say probably sometimes daily basis, um, having very difficult conversations with patients about their diagnoses and about whether their treatments are working or not working having really, really co hard conversations with patients' families who are probably dealing with anticipatory grief 
and difficulties or challenges in letting go of their loved one. So I just really appreciate Judy's perspective. And, you know, we've touched upon some of these topics as friends, but I really felt the need to bring on somebody who is working in oncology, working with cancer patients to give her perspective. Um, And I found myself having a hell of a lot more compassion for the doctors, the surgeons, the nurses, everyone in the medical system that have to navigate some really challenging stuff. So like every conversation, I want to invite you, if you are in a place where you can close your eyes, to go ahead and just close your eyes for a moment as we take in a deep breath together. Deep breath in through your nose. Gently sighing out with gratitude to the earth. This is Judy. I have been looking forward to this conversation for a really long time because it's like in full, I mean, to all those who are listening, full disclosure, Judy and I have known each other for a lifetime, literally, I think going all the way back to preschool. (laughs) (laughs) So single digits, like very low single digits. (laughs) Yeah. There's pictures for proof. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so I've been looking forward to this because I feel like there is a lot that we've both experienced in our lives, you know, in terms of letting go of moments and cycles and transitions, like, you know, in our life, like relationships, big moves across the Mm -hmm. world, like that kind of stuff. Um, But I feel like there's something about where you're sitting right now in your work that prompted me to want to have this conversation with you because I feel like you being in the medical system and working in the medical system brings a very specific perspective when it comes to death and dying and grief. And I just want to give both of us permission right now just to kind of like, just to be very real with what it is that we experience and to not come at this conversation as like people who need to know, like who need to impart wisdom, Mm -hmm. but more as just two human beings who are having this experience through different lenses. You know, Mm -hmm. I think me as a medicine person and you as a physician's assistant working with, um, working in oncology. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'd love to just start by just kind of like having you explain what it is that you do and like where you work in the medical system. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I've worked as a physician's assistant for over 20 years. Um, Most of it has actually been more of in a surgical setting, um, you know, general surgery, radiology. I did a little bit of cosmetic dermatology, you know, Botox and fillers. So like very procedure oriented. And so actually where the role I'm currently in is hematology oncology. And it's actually pretty new for me. I've only been in this space for about a year. Um, but, you know, I guess if I think back over the course of my whole career as a physician's assistant, you know, I've obviously encountered 
death and dying. Um, but this has just in a, been in a very sort of like intense, accelerated manner. Um, so it's quite different. Um, uh, you know, I basically, you know, day to day, I see the chemo patients, um, mm -hmm. and not everybody's there for cancer. You know, we also see people with like anemia and like other blood disorders, but then, you know, a large part of it is oncology cancers and many different types of cancers, you know, breast, colon, lung, liver, pancreatic, um, so the whole range, um, and yeah, you know, I see these patients, you know, help manage, mostly manage their symptoms that come along with treatment. Um, so, you know, it's a lot of, you really see them in a very vulnerable setting and you meet their family members as well. Um, and so, um, yeah, um. It's, <laughs> I feel like, you know, cause I've witnessed you kind of like stepping into this, like yeah. about, I guess, yeah, it was a year ago, which actually doesn't yeah. feel like that long of a time. It, feel, mm -hmm. it feels like this year just like flew by. Yeah, but I did. I feel like your transition, cause you were working with a doctor who was also focused on oncology as well, but right. what is right. it about this particular yeah that's that's been different yeah that's that's true i for yeah so before i did hematology hematology oncology i worked with the breast cancer surgeon for almost 10 years um and you know that was it was a little bit different because i feel like there's so many good treatments now for breast cancers there's so good um forms of detection you know mammograms have really um they've improved so much we have such you know standards of getting mammograms every year. So working in breast oncology, you know, we catch it fairly early. The treatments are very good. The survivorship is, 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 um, you know, people survive and they can live a long time. So I really didn't deal with much death and dying, to be honest, but also because I was just in the surgical part, you know, we did the surgeries, we performed the mastectomy, the lumpectomy, and I would, and I would follow them on like a six month annual basis. Um, but, you know, anytime, like for the chemotherapy parts, or if they needed medication, I didn't really see too much of that, you know, that was dealt with by the oncologist, which is the role that I'm currently occupying now. Um, so I see a lot more of the nitty gritty. Um, you know, maybe, and, and like I said, also I'm dealing with different cancers that don't have such good, you know, um, survivorship rates, um, you know, mm -hmm. things like pancreatic cancer, you know, usually there's just not very good screening for it. Um, mm -hmm. so by the time we usually find it, it's pretty late stage and really we're just sort of managing symptoms, trying to, you know, prolong whatever time they have left where they're, where they don't feel so uncomfortable, but then of course there's chemo involved, which makes them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so where I'm at now is just with the different cancers and really being in the midst of it. Cause obviously people who need chemotherapy have probably more aggressive disease, right? So mm -hmm. really just seeing a lot more sick people who are, are pretty sick. 
um, and people who are pretty advanced in their disease. You know, we have a lot of, because medicine has improved so much that there are really great drugs that can keep people alive for a really long time, even when you're what we call metastatic, where the cancer has spread to different parts of your body. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the lung, the liver, the brain even, you know, there's chemotherapy, there's radiation that can be done. Um, and, you know, I've known like some women, young women with metastatic breast cancer to the brain who has been living with it for like 10 years. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, therapies have really improved a lot. Um, I was going to say in those kinds of situations, which is, it feels, it sounds miraculous, you know, that they can yeah. live with this for such a long time. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me like their quality of life is such where it's not so Im- impeded upon where they can actually still have like a pretty good regular kind of, you know, yes, back yeah. to their quality of life that they exactly had yeah yeah that they do have pretty good quality of life you know they can still do their day-to-day go to work um all of those things take care of the kids um yeah it's pretty pretty miraculous um yeah. but you were um, saying that in this current position now it's like there's a lot of um it sounds to me that that's not always going to be the case right that's not always right the, right. the norm Yeah, that's not always the norm. Um, And so, you know, I would say probably, I mean, on a weekly basis, almost weekly basis, I have a patient that passes away, Mm -hmm. you know, almost weekly. And, you know, it's someone who sometimes it happens really quickly where, you know, I've probably only been treating them or they've been under our care for a few months. But oftentimes, you know, they've been with us for, a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's kind of grappling with, you know, you go to being so intimate with them and in their most vulnerable times with them, with their families. And then just, you know, sometimes at the end, it just happens really quickly and, and then they're gone and then that's it. And, you know, you spend all this time with them. Like you see them every week for many months and then, all of a sudden they're gone and then that's it. You know, you don't see their family anymore. You don't talk to them anymore. It's just very sort of abrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that, that can be really hard. Uh, it's, it's kind of really jarring, you know, it's just like, okay, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, all right. You know, I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes you wonder, you know, how the family is doing afterward. I mean, sometimes when you really close, I mean, sometimes you do form special bonds with certain patients and family members and, Mm -hmm. you know, you can kind of reach out to them for a little bit afterward, but that's not long lasting either, you Mm -hmm. know, and everybody goes, has to go on with their life, with their work. And so, um, yeah, oftentimes you're kind of just left wondering, you know, like, how are they doing? Um, you just don't really speak to them anymore. So how, I mean, I can imagine just being put into this very new kind of, um, I don't even know how to call it. It's like, it's not just a new role, but like, this is a big challenge. I would imagine, like, I'm just imagining myself stepping into that. 
And I'm curious, like, what were you feeling and experiencing even in the first month that you were in this, like this new practice? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it in the very beginning too, it was a, is a huge learning curve for me just because there's just so many disease entities, you know, mm-hmm. there's so, and, and I was saying that, you know, there's new drugs that come out every day. So also in this field, there's just always new medications. There's just like, there's no way to know everything. It's just yeah. impossible. It's just yeah. every day there's new chemo agents. There's new, it was really overwhelming. And I, you know, I really, you know, coming from like a very specific, just dealing with breast and not really having to deal with much medications or anything, you know, um, it was a lot. I just kind of had to focus on certain things, um, you know, diseases that I saw more frequently. Um, and it was really just about kind of getting into it and doing, doing the work. That's really just how you learn. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I think maybe most people will be surprised to know that in our field, really, we just kind of get thrown in there (laughs) and, you know, you learn the basics in school, but really, you do all of the learning on the job. That's really as like nurses, you know, clinicians, you just have to get in there. That's just how you learn. You learn through your mistakes. That's how you remember. That's how you go and look up things and, you know, really, really know about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so it's just in doing, that's how you learn. It's like trial by fire. It's trial by fire. It's just trial and error. And honestly, too, you know, and, you know, I think especially in this field, what I'm realizing it is a lot of it is trial and error. I mean, you know, medicine, it's, it's part science, it's part art. It's, yes. it's really, you know, you have to know what kind of patient you're dealing with. Everybody's different. You know, some people are gung-ho, they're super aggressive, give me everything, I'm going to fight this, I want the most aggressive treatment. You know, then you have other people who are like, less is more. They're like, I really don't want to do so much. I, you know, if this means I have to be here every week, I really don't want that. I want to be able to live my life. So it's also, you know, choosing treatments that are tailored to what the patient wants, what kind of life they want. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's many different drugs out there for, you know, a certain type of cancer or whatnot, but you really kind of just have to go with how the patient is, what kind of, you know, disease this is, um, and just kind of trying things, you know, and maybe trying this one drug because everybody also reacts very differently Mm -hmm. to the same medication and you just don't know. So you're just going to have to try it and see, you know, it's like this one patient might tolerate it very well. And then the same patient takes the same medication, same dosage, and just has all kinds of side effects. Mm -hmm. So then you have to quickly think and, and switch things up. So it's a, it's a lot of that too. There's no exact science. Um, yeah. yeah. And it just sounds like from what you're saying too, I mean, so much of this is intuitive as well. It is. When you it say is. that it's part art, you know, that's kind of what I'm feeling into. It's kind of like you as a PA have to kind of feel into it and mm-hmm. see, you know, okay. And I think knowing who you are, like just knowing your 
your gifts and your not just your personality but i think the way that you can hold people and bring some really difficult conversations out Mm -hmm. and help people feel safe navigating those really hard conversations i'm curious like how do you approach somebody when things aren't working the way that they want to or you know how do you even prepare for that kind of conversation on your end? I mean, uh, <laughs> you don't really, I mean, you kind of say a prayer before you go in there, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, um, I don't know, like I said, I think it also depends on just knowing your patient. And so you kind of have to approach everybody a little bit differently. Just knowing who they are, their personality, how they kind of handle things or don't handle things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I actually had one one patient just the other day on Friday. Um, you know, she can be labeled as maybe a little bit difficult at times. Um, and, you know, I think patients know, you know, they know when maybe there's not such good news coming. You You know. Mm-hmm. whether you acknowledge that to yourself or not is another story, but I think you, you know, and, you know, I think it wasn't such great news. She had a scan, another scan, you know, so that's the thing that we do. We do treatment for a little while. We repeat scans to see if things are working or not. So that's the other thing too. You kind of just fingers crossed, hold your breath, you know, put people on treatment. And like we said, everybody's body responds differently too. So mm-hmm. And, you know, we repeat scans a few months later to see if things are really working or not. Um, and, you know, she, it, she's had some difficulty because, you know, she would have a treatment and then, you know, we also have to look at her blood counts and oftentimes they would be too low to be treated again. So then we had a lot of delays. She wasn't able to be very consistent. Um, and so, you know, just even that she wasn't able to get through many treatments just because of her blood counts, not that she wasn't feeling good. Mm-hmm. Um, she was feeling okay. So, you know, but then her tumor markers were going up. She was showing other signs of maybe progression. And I think she knew it. And so, you know, we're like, let's just repeat scans sooner than later, just mm-hmm. to see where we're at, because there's no point in doing more if it's not working. So, you know, we repeated it and, you know, it, yeah, it, she wasn't, it wasn't really working. And, um, you know, so we kind of, usually we, we put her in the, the infusion rooms to get her ready for, you know, her next chemo and draw blood. And, you know, this time I was like, oh, let's put her in a private room so we can talk. So of course she knew, you know, and, Mm. and I think she was like, you know, to, to the nurse, she was already like, don't tell me any bad news. I don't want to hear any bad news. I, I, you know, I know it's going to be bad news. And, you know, so the nurse came to me and was like, you know, she's, you know, she's just upset already. And you know, I'm like, okay. Um, you know, so I go, I mean, I'm nervous too. I'm anxious yeah. too. I don't, who likes delivering bad news? <laughs> Nobody does. It's exactly. really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Um, and I so, imagine this is also not something that they probably trained you for in school either. It's not. It yeah. definitely is not. I mean, you know, they probably should have a course on that. Maybe they do now. I mean, I don't know. I, it's been 20 something years since I was in school for this. So maybe, you know, maybe they do have courses now on it. But still, it just 
you really just learn on the job. I mean, how are you going to prepare somebody to be telling people bad news? But, um, you know, kind of just went in there and was just, you know, just kind of trying to think of it from where she's coming from. Right. And, you know, just being gentle with her and, you know, just kind of telling her, you know, just being honest. Um, and I think, you know, she ended up taking it a lot better, um, than anybody thought. I mean, I think it was also, she thought the news was going to be much worse than it was. Um, and to her, it wasn't too terrible. Um, it was something she could still deal with. So she was okay. Yeah. I think just trying to be sympathetic and compassionate and, you know, oftentimes it's really just about letting them vent, just Mm -hmm. letting them blah, 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 you know, and just being, okay, okay, you know, of course, you know, I understand why you're upset. I understand why you're sad. You know, I can totally see why you feel that way. Mm -hmm. And just kind of acknowledging, I think a lot of times they just need somebody to, to hear them um, and to acknowledge what they're feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. I really learned that actually dealing with the breast cancer patients in surgery. You know, I think a lot of times these women just really needed someone just to take a few minutes and listen to their woes, you know, because, you know, they have to, usually they have to be on a medication afterward and it mimics postmenopausal symptoms. Oh, And that's really hard. You know, it's, some people thought that they already went past that. They already dealt with that. And then now they have to take a pill that could possibly, you know, that could, give the same symptoms of hot flashes, night sweats, mood swings, all of that, you know, and they feel old, their joints ache, Mm -hmm. they have thinning hair, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so even though they've survived, you know, some of them are like, am I really, I mean, it's like day to day, I wake up, I'm like 55 years old, and I wake up and I feel like I'm like 85 years old, you know, it's like, my joints hurt, um, yeah, my, my hair is thinning, you know, I have like vaginal dryness. It's all the things that really impact your day to day. And so it's quality tough. of life. It's right? quality of life. And so, you know, they just don't feel good. Um, and so they just oftentimes they just want to just vent and just talk about it. So it's kind of just being there for that. You're bringing up such a good point because I feel like so much of even my my death doula training and even like the somatic healing work that I do, a lot of it is witnessing. It's Mm -hmm. just witnessing. And I feel like that part of it sometimes gets like ignored or de-emphasized or something Mm -hmm. like that. But I really feel like when somebody's going through it, like something really difficult, the most healing thing is just to be there and like hold the space for them to be able to go through all of the feelings that are coming up and express it and be mad and be sad Mm -hmm. and be all the things, you know, Yeah. without somebody judging them for it or without that person witnessing them, you know, um, going through their own internal like turmoil, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I feel like sometimes like what you're describing 
it's just even in being there, just being there. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's hard because oftentimes you just, you know, you feel like to give them what they need is to give them like a resolution, give them like, oh, okay, we'll just do this. And sometimes it is that, you know, sometimes they are looking for, okay, try this, you know, try that, you know, but I think oftentimes it's not even about giving them a solution or an answer. Like you said, it's just about holding the space and listening to them and just acknowledging that, yeah, it's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's, you know, it doesn't feel good. Um, just those things, uh, can help so much, but I mean, it's hard. I mean, I have, to be honest, I have complete burnout. Mm. I'm burned out, you know, because it's, you know, every day, you know, you, it's more than one person that's talking to you about these things. Mm -hmm. So it's sometimes, you know, one after the other, and you kind of just have to, you know, always put aside whatever it is you're going through in your life or whatnot, or, you know, if you just heard some bad news, you just kind of have to just put it away and listen. Mm-hmm. And so then you deal with that and then you have to come home. And then also, <laughs> you know, if you have like family, you know, there's also other people needing you. So it's, it's a lot. Yeah, It's a lot. I think that's why, especially during COVID, and there just wasn't that much support for healthcare workers. I mean, you're just burned out. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's no question about it. Yeah. You're so, holding so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, cause I've heard you talk about the overwhelm and having to like navigate so much, so much stuff that doesn't feel, um, light. It's like, mm. it's the heaviest of the heavy, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm curious how that's affected you personally and just even your relationship with like death, grief, how you manage it on your mm-hmm. own, the, your, like your own personal stuff, having mm-hmm. witnessed so many people actually kind of at that point in their life. It's hard. I mean, I think that sometimes you just end up disconnecting just mm-hmm. to deal because you have to move on to somebody else. Yeah. Uh, you know, another person or, or, you know, um, and, you know, life is just so busy too with family and kids and work. And you just, you know, oftentimes you, most of the time you don't really have time to process mm. what happened um, at work. Um, and so, I mean, I, you know, I think one of the blessings too with this job is that oftentimes when things get hard for me in my life, I do think about my patients and not to say that, but, you know, just to be reminded of Mm -hmm. how blessed I am to be walking around, being able to enjoy the sunshine, being able to, you know, do all those things, just the small things, being able to eat what I want you know, stuff like that. It just is a good reminder that I'm healthy, mm-hmm. knock on wood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and just not to take each day for granted and that, you know, I'm getting older and, you know, I do hear people are like, oh my gosh, I'm getting older. I don't want to celebrate my birthday, but no, I mean, to me, every year that we're here, that we're able to live and breathe and think and do what we want and 
that's a huge, huge blessing. And to, to celebrate that, you know, every year that you're here to celebrate it. Um, it's so that's, that's one good thing that's come out of it. Um, it's just a, a reminder of that. Um, but I think sometimes it can be dark, you know, I'm like thinking and, you know, cause I do have to talk to somebody. And so, yeah. you know, sometimes my husband has to hear like, Oh, another person, <laughs> another person just went, you know, another person and, you know, I feel bad, but, you know, luckily he understands and he's like, well, I mean, you, you do need to let it out somehow. You can't just keep it all inside of you. But, um, you know, and I think our job also does provide counseling if we need it, Mm -hmm. um, which I think can be really helpful. I've thought about it many times. I might just do it just to be able to have a safe space to talk about it uh, with somebody because, you know, you can't really talk about it with family, you know, because of the HIPAA things and all that, you, you know, you can't mention names or anything. And, um, but uh, yeah, just to be able to have an outlet for that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's really just like every week, there's just somebody gone. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. If you're in the midst of a life transition, a death portal, I'm talking to you. Congratulations on your initiation into a big transformation. I created my death rebirth mentorship program to companion you through this death portal, shedding relationships, careers, patterns of behavior, aspects of your personality that no longer serve. For 13 weeks, I walk right next to you as you learn to be with the sensations of your body, facing your fears, your wounds, your anger, shame, grief. You learn how to befriend and soften your inner critic. You discover the root of your scarcity, your fears of abandonment and failure. You release the unresolved charge from ancestral and developmental wounds. You start to see the signs and nudges from the universe, the unseen, nature. You suddenly realize You are never walking alone. You begin to hear your body's messages through sensation and emotion. You become your inner child's BFF. You become whole again. You recognize your gifts and begin to realign to the values of your infinite and essential being. You get clear. By bravely walking through this death portal, you develop a trust and a belief that allows you to fully surrender into your most easeful, powerful expression of you. Go to tripwithellen.com and sign up for a free discovery call. Listeners of Mom get $250 off if you mention this podcast during our call. Thank you for the honor of witnessing, companioning, and guiding you through this death and rebirth. It's a lot. It's a lot of transition and movement and change. And, you know, even though these people may not necessarily be your like close friends and family to have to witness it, I think all the time, I can imagine just it builds up after a point Mm -hmm. where like, of course, of course you're burnt out. Of course there's like overwhelm there, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm also curious, like, you know, I think, again, I'm like thinking back to like my death doula training and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the big questions that 
even death doulas are asking is where within the medical system would it be helpful to have a presence? You know what I mean? And I'm curious yes. from your perspective, like yeah, being part of the medical staff, like where, where do you see the gaps? I know there's definitely huge gap. Um, you know, it's just such a, right now the medical system, it's not geared towards, it's going there slowly, but not fast enough, I think. Um, yeah, to just have this sort of intermediary. Um, I mean, we we do consult social workers, um, things like that, you know, psychologists and all that. But I think there needs to be more more of that and more physicians recognizing and maybe offering that to people. Um, but I think also people and patients being open to those things um, to help guide them more. Um, I think we do, you know, we do need to to talk about it more as a society because, as you said, it's something that we're all going to experience. Um, and I think we really do need to talk about what is it that we would be comfortable with at the end. What do we want it to look like for ourselves at the end? Because, you know, for us in the medical profession, obviously, it's all about saving lives, saving lives. What can we do? Do everything we can to save a life. But honestly, in those last few months, do you want to be there just trying every last drug where you feel so sick, you can't even, you know, eat, enjoy the sunshine outside, be with your friends and family? Is that how you want it to look like. And then just one day you're just so sick that your body is just fails really quickly and that's it. Or, you know, do you want to have more of a discussion and know about different options that are out there? I think most people aren't even aware that, you know what, you have a choice. Yes. You have a choice in how you want to live your last months. Um, and it's scary. I think it is really, really scary to also let go, right? To also say, you know what? I think I've had enough treatment. I'm just going to be, and I'm just going to see what happens. That's really, really hard, right? Um, because I think for a lot of people, at least if they're on treatment, meaning, you know, they're getting medications, chemo, whatnot, they feel like they're still actively doing something because oftentimes too, at the end, right. You feel, you feel like you've lost all control. So that's the other thing too. I think for a lot of people, what drives them to keep going with their treatments is that's the one thing that they can control. Why well, still, I have control. I can still, I still want to do more and maybe it'll work. But so I think, I think it might help to sort of think about these things early on um, and just have open discussions about it. I mean, things always change, you know, at the end, you don't know what it's going to be like. You don't know what sort of situation you're going to be in, mm -hmm. but to at least have thought about it and yeah, just to be able to have, you know, know that there's other resources and like, you know, probably these, you know, like you said, the death doula is just to come and, and help you sort out, not just like legal stuff, you know, advanced directives, things like that, but 
like we're saying, a lot of different options on how you want to go. You know, California does have, you can choose to do an end of life um, where you, as long as you can give yourself that pill, mm-hmm. you can choose to. A dignified death. A dignified death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so just knowing that there's other options out there is really important. Is that um, something that comes into play sometimes with your work too? Like, have you had patients ask about that? Yeah, yeah, I have. I've had several patients who have asked about like end of life, dignified death, and they've wanted to know about it. And we've put them in touch with certain places that offer that and they've done it, you know, um, but it's not a lot. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, we've shared this just on a personal level that, you know, it's, I just see, especially we've had a lot of young, um, young people, young patients who are our age, you know, in their forties, well, it's young, um, who I've seen pass, you know, from, from cancer. And it's just really hard because, they have young kids and family and um, just to see them, you know, I think a lot of times, obviously, you know, the choices we make, we also do it for our loved ones, right? I think mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of them where if it was just their choice, if it was just them alone, they would have stopped treatment a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think mo- a lot of them choose to keep going hoping to give their loved ones more time because I think oftentimes they themselves have probably come to terms with them dying, but it's really, they're afraid too for their family and that they're not ready. The thing is though, you're never ready. You're You're just never ready. It doesn't matter how much you try to prolong the process. And so it's, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of layers to it. But I think definitely there could be more benefit from like just more resources um, that are presented to people. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think you're bringing up also a really good point that, you know, death is not just about the individual, right? It's about the entire family unit Mm -hmm. and the loved ones that surround and, you know, um, I can imagine that there's a lot of conversations that you've had to have also with family members that are not just the individual, but having to be there and, and kind of be a witness to the family members who are going through this. It's like anticipatory grief, essentially. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, sometimes what I found myself in the position of many times in my career is really being the one to tell the loved ones, you know what, the end is near. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm just letting you know, do you want them to be here in the hospital or do you want to take them home? Mm. Um, I don't know. I think, I don't know. I just, I think the reason is, and you know, I think a lot of physicians, they're not really, I mean, they do, but maybe they don't feel so much in position to say that because like I said, you're here to save a life. Right. But at what point are you really, you know, at some point it's, it's about, you know, a a dignified way to go too. Um, And so I just always think 
I think what it is, is the reason that I feel okay. And I feel like I need to tell people that because you're, you're so in it. And, you know, you don't know too, as like just a lay person, when things are really, really going south, like you just don't know as just a regular person. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I just always feel like if I was in their position, I would want someone to tell me like, Hey, this is, this is near, near the end for your mom. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you want it to look? Like, I would just want somebody to to do that for me. You know, I've kind of been, I feel like I've been, it's been, you know, I don't know how to say it, but like for me to be able to say that to some people and they really, at the end, they were really, really grateful, you know, to be able to take their parents home, you know, so they can just pass in their comforts of their home, surrounded by their family and friends. Um, And so times like that, I felt, you know, like, okay, you know, maybe I am helping and making a difference. Um, And sometimes I wish that I could say that a little bit more Mm -hmm. um, at my job, that I could just kind of be more honest with people. And maybe I could, I don't know, maybe it's just this fear in myself, you know, because you don't know how some people are going to take it. Um, I mean, I think the ones that I have been able to be honest with were people that I was closer with, you know, Mm. friends or friends of friends. Um, But just also, yeah, I feel like that's really where there's a lack of, you know, maybe when there is a few months or you see like, you know, maybe, you know, just to be more honest about where they are, um, in their disease and giving people more options just to live the last few months a little bit more gracefully Mm -hmm. would be nice. Yeah. Instead of just, just the horrific end, honestly, Mm. really of just sometimes with our system and we just just try 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 everything till the end when you know you don't even really recognize the person that's sitting in front of you yeah um yeah well what you're bringing up it it feels like it's a distraction it's a distraction from the inevitable yeah and you know in the same way that sometimes we get so caught up in stuff in life to be a distraction for like really feeling stuff you know or or going Mm -hmm. in and really in, be in the experience of it, especially the uncomfortable stuff, you know, but yeah, I can see how at the end of life, the same thing happens where it's just, let's just keep on trying because you don't feel the pain of the loss or you don't feel the pain of the grief that's coming on. If you just keep on trying and trying and trying. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think part of just the way we're raised or our society is like, oh, well, at least we tried everything we could, you know, I think it's that old adage of, well, we tried everything. Well, sometimes it's not about that. It's not about trying all the medications till you basically just, you know, worn your body out. It's about maybe giving yourself the last few months to just kind of enjoy your life, you know, where you can enjoy your food, your friends, going to the beach, go, you know, whatever it is that you 
go see a show. I mean, you know, isn't that how, I don't know, you'd want to remember living? Hell yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Right? Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, but it's very tricky subject matter and it is, it is a really gray area. Like when do you bring those things up or who's going to be receptive to that? Um, everybody's different, but, you know, like I said, I think maybe if we just had as a society, a much more open view and discussion about death and dying, um, it, maybe it wouldn't be, you know, people would consider, you know, different ways earlier. And I think we don't celebrate life living so much, We're kind of just always in the grind of things. We really don't give ourselves enough time to live. Mm -hmm. um, so I think at the end of life too, we're just also just like trying and trying and trying and working and working and working. And cause that's just is what's normal. Yeah. You know, you feel like you're, you feel like you're giving up if you're just not doing anything. Yeah. But sometimes you just need to not do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Yes, a oh, thousand I mean, percent. You just need to not do anything. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just think about like my kids, you know, today it's like, you know, they got soccer, they got gymnastics and, you know, my daughter wasn't feeling so good today and, you know, and she's supposed to have a soccer game and, you know, and she's like, I don't want to go. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, you know, I mean, I, we, I need a break too. My husband and I need a break. Like, yeah. Why don't we just sit at home and just be, I think most of us, we just don't know how to do that. I mean, myself included, like you said, I think we do a lot of things as distractions. So we don't really have to think or feel about what is really going on. Um, and I think that that happens too, um, at the end of, at the end of life, you know, I feel like there's such a big disconnect between the mind and the, and the heart. And that's actually when it needs to be more, you know, of, of the, that connection. And, but it's just really not there. Um, yeah. I just appreciate you and just being where you are and doing this kind of work. Cause the shit is hard. I mean, just even when I hear your stories, you know, and I, I yeah. see, I see the burnout, I see the overwhelm. It's hard. It's hard work. It's hard to have these conversations. It's hard to yeah. witness, you know? So I just, I just appreciate that you exist and that there's people like you that are willing to be there, you know, to, to just truly just be there to be, you know, like, I know there's a lot of special, special, you know, skills that you have too, but yeah. just even your, I think your willingness to go and, yeah. you know, be in that role, I think is really special. Well, um, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know how long I'll be able to do it. Um, so we'll see. You know, we'll see. Um, but yeah, you just kind of have to find, that's what I'm trying to do now is just find other ways to give myself that kind of 
joy and happiness outside of work because I think you know like you were asking that question earlier just finding other ways to be able to find a bit of balance or like have a release because I think otherwise it just really it's not good for you it just eats at you it's not healthy you know it makes you kind of really anxious and yeah I think it makes I think it probably makes me very anxious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's a really, it's a first realization just because I know, I think being in medicine, you just know all things that could potentially go wrong. And I mean, it's a miracle that we, most of the time it doesn't, but you know, we see a lot of like the, oh, rare things, you know, or things that not supposed to happen, we, we see it. And so it's hard sometimes for your mind to not go there. Like it's the first thing, worst case scenario, your mind is just, so I think it does. I think it does create a lot of anxiety. And so um, you have to find a way to channel that. And I wasn't very good about it for a really, really long time. And I'm still just learning now and trying to find other ways um, to do that. Yeah. Well, this is why we're going to go dance our ass off. <laughs> next I weekend. know. I know. That's right. I know. I know. And that's why it's needed, you know? And yeah, I mean, you know, I've been talking about doing these dance parties and, you know, with my other friend, just because we have such intense jobs and we need a place, a safe space where we can just let loose and have fun and, you know, with our friends and, and everything. And just, it's just so therapeutic. It really, really is. And we really need to find more ways of that and embrace that and, and, and do more of that. Yeah. So, yeah. I <laughs> so I always like to end with these five questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> okay. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. What would you like to be your final meal on oh earth? Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, I've thought about this question before. I know you would have, like we're because, such food people. <laughs> yeah, because, and I'm such a, I, you know, I have problems. I'm a Libra. I cannot make a decision. I'm always so wishy-washy. I'd like, I'd probably like a little bit of 10,000 different things. Um, Chinese style. Yes, yes. <laughs> I would like Chinese style. I don't know if they would be able to do that. I love that idea. You know, I'd a like a little some... chicken fried steak, a yes, little mashed potatoes, a little. <laughs> that was my first thing. I was like, I'd like some chicken fried steak, <laughs> gravy, you know, Texas style. <laughs> I'd like some Tex Mex fajitas and queso. And yes. I like some like Chinese food with some scallion pancakes, some <laughs> soup dumplings, you know, some good fried rice and noodles. I'm going out like you. I, I do not right? want to choose. Hell no. I don't want to choose. Why should we choose? I want some good biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> I will be at that meal for sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'd want everybody there, you know, I think it's the, it's also it's the joy of sharing and, you know, connecting. Yeah. What's the point of having it all for yourself, really? Truly, especially through <laughs> our bellies. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Second question. 
What song or sound do you want to hear as you take your last breath? Oh my goodness. What song or sound? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I've always, I've said this, I mean, you've heard it before and so far it hasn't changed, you know, because I can also be kind of like very wishy-washy, like always changing (laughs) my mind. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I've always said this. I would just, I don't know. I'd want to be by the water. Uh, maybe just the sound of the ocean. Um, I want to be on the beach in front of the the, the water. Um, yeah, and just play some good, I don't know, probably some like cheesy uh, trance music. <laughs> I just, that's what I want. I want my, you know, like trance music. <laughs> That maybe, you know, I've thought it, you know, I thought about it. You know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to go there. Like, just make me feel it all. Make me feel it all at the end. Because, yeah, you know, like, yeah. Because when else are you supposed to just feel it all? Don't you want to just feel it all at the end? A Lua Arthur, my (laughs) death doula teacher, um, she gave a tech talk and at the very, very end, she was like, you know, none of us know what the hell happens when we die. Right. It's all speculation. It's all like beliefs and like, you know, right. ideas. So why not put our, why not imagine the most amazing possible experience? And she describes it as almost kind of like this huge explosion of that comes from feeling everything, feeling everything yeah. all at once. Yeah. And to the point where it's like you're feeling, 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 t- and it's it becomes so overwhelming that you just explode into like glitter bits, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like fill the sky. <laughs> yeah. And I love that visual. Yeah. But I, exactly what you're saying, like just feeling it all. Yeah. Just all the joy and all the sadness because that's really what life is, isn't it? I mean, you know, you always say that, you know, you can't have one without the other, you just can't. And so as much as, you know, we hate it sometimes, but that's also what makes us human and what makes us live and breathe and everything is is all of that, is feeling all of those things. So, it's the bittersweetness, right? It's the bittersweetness. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> okay next question what's one sensory experience you will miss so much on this earth music sound yeah i don't know does that count yeah it absolutely counts yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah i think a hundred percent just yeah like sound Mm -hmm. you know people talking music um because for me i think it just makes me feel so many things mm-hmm. yeah. so you know like i said if you can't feel anything then i don't know what's the point really <laughs> so true it's a portal it's a portal I yeah. love it. okay number four what is something you want to leave as your legacy for the next generation it could be a thought, it could be an item, it could be anything. Ooh, 
that's a tough one. I don't want to leave for the next generation. Oh man. Oh, I'm not Ellen. <laughs> I'm stumped. <laughs> that's okay. We can skip it. No, just have a fucking good time. Yes. Oh <laughs> just my have god. A fucking good time. <laughs> Because, you know what, honestly, at the end of the day, that's just how I feel. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, maybe I think sometimes it's it's a bit hedonistic or kind of pleasure seeking. But I mean, I don't know. Yeah, just have a good time. Oh, just have I fun. This. Have fun. This. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, just always remember that. I mean, if you can find a way to just have fun, even if it's, you know, getting together with your friends and, you know, having a good laugh at something. Um, yeah, or, you know, if it's by yourself, you know, in the, you know, in the garden or taking a hike by yourself, you know, that can be really fucking fun just to be alone and doing what you want yes really powerful stuff so yeah just having a good time oh i love that yeah. i feel like that needs to be your next tattoo <laughs> okay final question if you could start this life all over again what's the one thing you would do differently Oh my goodness. I could start it all over. I don't know. That's kind of, you know, a hard thing because obviously I wouldn't be where I am without all the hardships and struggles that I've been through. I mean, I would probably have to say just being less afraid, mm -hmm. um, just being less afraid, standing up for myself more. I mean, there's still time for me to do that. So but just maybe telling, you know, little Judy to just not be so afraid. Yeah. Yeah. And just that. believing in herself more. I love you so much. Oh, I love you too. <laughs> Thank I you mean, so I think much. about you and everyone in my life, really. It's been really magical. I really, really feel really, really blessed. I don't know what I did in my previous life to deserve it but I obviously did something right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I feel like we've definitely been traveling the galaxies over lifetimes for a while. I definitely feel that like- You feel that? This is yeah. not our first rodeo for sure. Yeah, right? I know, that's true. I mean, it's, yeah, that's a really good point. I think really a lot of people that I've met in my life and who are still in my life, you know, it's probably we've, it's not the first time around, so. It's really special. So yeah, 100%. it's really an honor to, to know you and be friends with you and just see you through your journey. It's, it's Likewise. really, it's very inspiring. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. Likewise. <laughs> this conversation was everything. I no. it's thank you. It's yeah. It's been really therapeutic for me too. So thank you for having me. Always, always. Anytime you want to come back. <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe we'll 
I'll be in another space. Maybe I'll be doing something different mm-hmm. the next time around. So we'll see. Yay. Stay Maybe tuned. my evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned, kids. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and joining our conversation. Mom is produced with much joy and gratitude by Trip with Ellen. It's edited by Nina Maria Iniestra de la Riva and would not be made possible without the production assistance of Erica May T. Apuli from Earth Rooted Assistance. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your preferred podcast app and take the time to leave us a review. Your support ensures that we can continue to sustain our production by growing our audience so that we can eventually receive funding. Follow us on Instagram at mumthepod. That's M-U-M-T-H-E-P-O-D. See you all at the next episode. And until then, remember, every death offers a portal to life.